Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside, as always, Paul Gillieri. Paul, hello. Happy Hanukkah to you. Indeed. Happy We're in the middle Chanukah. of it. We are. The candles <laughs> started, have been lit. It started last Thursday. It goes through the 18th of December, so all of our Jewish friends have a lovely festival of lights. I hope Indeed. the oil is crushing it for you. Yeah, good people, and uh, I hope it is a festive, festive weekend for, for them all. I hope you get all that you desire, and if you're a essential worker, that would be a vaccine coming your way yes. shortly. <laughs> um, what do you got to do? You got to rate, you got to review, you got to subscribe. That's the usual business, right? Follow us mm-hmm. on the socials. State of under, state of under, oh my God. State of love and trust underscore pod is the handle on everything. And a reminder... That in two days' time, or December 17th, whichever is closer to you, uh, is the big emergency blanket interview. We are interviewing those guys, um, and they will be out. That'll be out in just a matter of days, hours, depending on when you listen to this. And they are a really, really good original rock band out of Peru. Two of the members are also in Red Mosquito, who you might recall is a fabulous Pearl Jam tribute band in Peru. And the singer of Emergency Blanket is the original singer of Red Mosquito that Hyro replaced. So there's a lot of crossed paths here. And we've got some of their albums, and they are really good. And we're doing giveaway, by the way. Oh, don't you know it? They've signed. Well, Paco has signed um, three albums, and we're giving them away. So uh, comment on our post where I where we posted that, and... Away we go. Yeah. The love affair between the State of Love and Trust pod and Pearl Jam cover bands around the world continues. It goes on. It goes on. We've got an update, Paul. A 10 club update. And that is, we are getting the legendary Atlanta 94, Atlanta number two, 94 show remastered for free from the club and the band. Are we excited? Not only are we excited, but if there's anybody listening to this who is not a 10 Club member, now is the time to join. So here's the funny thing about that. I, uh, I own the Atlanta 94 bootleg, but I, I own the hard copy, like the one that was actually out there in circulation, just getting mm. beat to crap through, through Amoeba and all these used record stores. And what's really cool about it, it's a, the packaging is great. It looks, it's very similar in terms of uh, packaging to the Gorge release. Mm. So, and I always thought that the soundboard recording on that was really solid, actually. So I'm very eager to see how they have improved upon the original. Yeah, that was one of the, one of the best sounding boots from the pre from the era. era. Exactly. Um, it's, a, it's a outstanding show. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows it's an outstanding show. And now we're going to get it in even better quality, which is fantastic. It's part of the 10 days of Pearl Jam that they're doing this month. Um, surprises, presumably free goodies for 10 club members. So you should already be a subscriber or, or a member, I should say, 
because you should be, but this is more reason to do so. Indeed. And not only that, we're getting our third um, full show stream on nugs.tv on December 19th, Rome, Italy from 2018. So get your ticket for that. Maybe we'll do a little reaction to that um, afterwards in our, on our Christmas special that comes out the following Tuesday. Yeah. That'll be nice. I like it. But today, what are we going to do this week? We are going to talk about, well, we don't want to be such a downer, but we've got to talk about everything Pearl Jam. And that includes songs that you may not connect with, you may not get on with, you may not get around to. um, No, no, we've been getting around to them for years, actually. We've been listening to them. It's just the spark's not there. The spark (laughs) isn't there. And I will say that for the most part, I can listen to any Pearl Jam song and find some joy. Yeah, but, there's not a single track that if 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 it's playing that I've got to switch. You know, I I got to throw something else on right now. I mean, I'll let it play through. But that's the thing is like the, you put the record on. I'm not going to skip over anything. No. But that said, some of these just don't connect very well. That's what we're saying. So, what are our five songs that you know just don't really we could do without? We don't need to hear them again. Um, necessarily is the nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I'll mention a couple of, a couple of honorable mentions just because that's kind of our thing. Um, I'll start. Why not change it up this time? So for me, a couple songs that I've talked about before that I, I didn't really care for. I have a hard time liking our, uh, let the records play. Can't Deny Me and Help Help. Those songs are hard for me to listen to um, a lot of the time. I did mention to you when I watched back the 2018 um, Seattle show where they played Help Help that I uh, enjoyed the, 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 that version. They actually sounded pretty cool to me and I got on with it, which is why it hasn't crept into my top five here. Um, Can't Deny Me, I appreciate the vibe, but it's, it's kind of a throwaway. Um, and let the records play while well, it has some cool guitar licks again what are we talking about here <laughs> it's just like a it's kind of a throwaway uh story as it were what what what, what songs didn't really make your i don't i guess it'd be bottom five really uh olay mm-hmm. can't deny me definitely um i've got i've got a bit of a surprise on the honorable mention list though oh man of the hour Interesting. Yeah, I can see how that would be there. It's it's not a bad track, man. I mean, it you know, like I said, if it's on, I'll let it play through. But it it's genuinely a song. I, actually, I won't let it play through most of the time. I'll get like a minute and a half in. I'm like, all right, we're we're moving on now. <laughs> Just skip <laughs> to the next track of whatever playlist it's on. It again, this is in no way, shape, or form an indictment of the track itself. It, it was on the the Big Fish. Was it the Big Fish soundtrack or correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, and. Um, it's, it's a beautifully written tune, and I do appreciate and respect the song. It just doesn't really, to me, I, I feel like it, it, this is the direction that River Cross is headed for me. It's just one of those tracks where I understand why people love it. Mm-hmm. I understand why some people adore it, but it, it, I, I'm having a hard time seeing how that track's ever going to really grab me that way. It fits a time and a place for me, for sure. Like I have yeah. to be in a very specific mood for that thing to actually speak to me. Otherwise it's like, yeah. all right, it's a little too slow. It's a little too, um, 
melancholy. I don't know. There's just something about that song. But yes, I agree um, that it would not be in the top five necessarily, but it is kind of floating around there. Uh, okay, so number five for me of my least connected to songs, My Father's Son. Oh. Okay. The music's main melody is a very unwelcome melody to me. It's not a chord progression that makes any real sense that anyone would write because it doesn't resolve nicely. I don't, people don't like that. Now, I guess, you know, it could be that, that that was intentional because of the lyrics, but it just doesn't sound good to me. And the lyrics are bordering on word salad. You know, I talked about seven o'clock having um, uh, word vomit, and right. it just, that's what this is to me. Um, Ed is emoting through word vomit, and it's it's still too manic um, to make much sense beyond the obvious. Like, why does it take four verses to get across the fact that you're upset with your father? Okay. And it's not good when a song is feels twice as long as it is. I did a double take when I realized that it was only three minutes long. <laughs> so, My Father's Son, number five for me. What do you got? I'm actually going to go in order of the... Um, debuts of these songs so it, it wasn't until no code that i heard a pearl jam song that i genuinely was like uh, no no <laughs> oh i agree uh, admittedly there there was there were there were elements of vitology that i didn't understand at the time mm-hmm. i mean now i just let it play through almost as just like an art rock sequence you know it, it, to me that will always be the, the band's white album it, kind of a small you know, in a, in a microcosm, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until no code came out that, uh, I was graced with mankind and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's no coincidence. We love you stone, but it's no coincidence that that is the, I believe the last track that, uh, you sang on an official Pearl Jam album, aside from backing vocals on tracks like siren, but, uh, sirens, excuse me. Um, I, I just, just doesn't, speak to me um and i think that that's why we, we have painted shield now yeah i mean it was on my preliminary list for sure whether or not it made it my top five we'll have to find out but uh yeah number four for me is a song that you very much know that i i just cannot connect to um and i've i've tried just can't do it sleight of hand and I, I don't dislike spacey atmospheric textures. Um, I do. I just don't like them here. And this song feels like they needed one more for the record and started jamming on something trippy that Jeff created for one of his side projects. And then here we are. But but Ed had some abstract poetry that he wanted to shoehorn into a song in this record and made it work within the confines of these textures. That's what it sounds like. Mike's lead work in the choruses kind of saves this from being completely disconnected for me. Uh, I feel like there's a story in these lyrics, but that Ed's trying too hard to be poetic. We've discussed before that while Ed can be very good at poetry, he's much better overall at storytelling. So this is like if uh, Chad Blake, the producer for the record, got the guys high and asked them to recreate that notorious improv free jazz or something, you know? So the music is defined, not the music, but music is defined by rhythm, melody, and harmony. And those three tenets are loosely defined in this song for me. What do you got for number four? Well, much like with you, not really connecting with a song that I love. <laughs> I have trouble with all those yesterdays. Off <laughs> I love it. 
now I get why people like this song. Honestly, thematically, it's a wonderful closing track to Yield. It really does encapsulate the whole motif of. Did of you even have it on your retracking of Yield? You might have taken it off. I think I took it off. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I, I understand oh. its placement. Like I get the whole narrative. Lyrically speaking, it really does. It, it's basically the album, you know, in a nutshell, in a lot of ways. But uh, musically speaking, it just does not speak to me. It's too, just like, quirky and and just jangly and I don't know. It, it you like a good jangle? Fit. No, man. And, and some of the, the the delivery, you know, like uh, what is this line here? Don't you think you ought to stop? Stop. <laughs> it's just dead. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just too. It's just a bizarre like circus track to me. I tell you. <laughs> It, I get why people, un, you know, that you are one of those folks. I that think it's just, delightful. You find it delightful, and, and delightful doesn't work for me. You know what I'm saying? Do you remember we Pearl were, Jam and delightful are not synonymous, <laughs> which is why this song. That's fair. Go. <laughs> Do you remember uh, Gibson Amphitheater 2009 when they busted it out? I forget which night it was. Oh, they God, busted it out. And they texted you right as it, right as it started because you were you weren't sitting together. You and I. No, I know. I think I was up in the rafters for that show. <laughs> and I knew how much you didn't like it. I was like, yeah, they're playing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting? So far, we're two songs into this. Both of my songs are Jeff's songs. Both of your songs are Stone songs. Well, that's the thing, man, is that, you know, the first three albums, that's that's Stone's crowning achievement. And then once he kind of gave way to Ed as, as the, the songwriting driving force in the band, mm-hmm. I really felt like Stone's songwriting, like he really started to experiment and explore. It's almost like he, he wanted to veer out in a way from that particular lane that he had been in for those, those couple of albums, which I love and applaud and respect because I think it's healthy for the band. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, that's kind of where you started to see Matt and Jeff and Mike and Ed, like their songwriting really started to kind of fill that void that Stone mm. was leaving. Uh, and in, in no way am I suggesting that, you know, Stone's contributions should be undermined. I'm not, you know, looking to downplay those contributions. I just found it interesting as all. Well. Yeah, I mean, it, sometimes they do interesting and it's it's actually interesting. <laughs> this no, I mean, I think it's so. interesting that that my two songs so far are Jeff's and yours two so far are Stone's. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, moving on to number three. I'm going to go off an album here and I'm going to go with a fan club song. Oh, that's not fair. Really? Oh, it, sure is. it sure is fair. And that's, well, it's unfair that we got this song because it's not very good. And that song is Santa Cruz. <laughs> oh, that, I actually like that song. Yeah. See, that is an interesting little jangle. Yeah. Right? It, it, why it's can't an, I get it's that? It's a jangle, but. Why can't I get that at the end of Yield? Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I would say it's probably one of their laziest songs. Oh, come on, man. Really? This has uh, shit. We need a song for the fan club single vibes written all over it. And Ed must have written these lyrics in about an hour because they're probably one of his most pedestrian efforts in the entire catalog. I mean, listen to this line. Okay. Up in the Northwest, we got it good. Little soggy, but we've got it good. Can't help thinking that I wish I would move my ass down to Santa Cruz. That is fucking terrible. I'm sorry. What's going on? Yeah, it's like it's literally the lyrical version of all those yesterday's music, <laughs> isn't it? <It's> like <laughs> the music, the music sounds like the band is just as bored to record it as I am listening to it. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just not, it's just no good. I hear you. What do you got from your three? Evacuation. 
Can we evacuate this song off of Binaural? <laughs> you know, we retracked Binaural, and this was the first to go for me. I, I, I still have to skip this song. There are I, I have literally put together compilations of this album where I've retracted it and I've, I've added in all the songs I felt like should have been there. I don't think I've heard this song in like 10 years. I just... Shut <laughs> up. Get out of here. Okay, that's an exaggeration. Yeah. I'll veer away from hyperbole. Back to the... Back to the... Baby. Let me handle the hyperbole. Yes, that's your job. Yeah. Seriously, this song is um, underwhelming, to say the least. Uh, it just doesn't... It doesn't really fit to me on this album in a is lot of ways. Is it the first credit to Matt? I don't know, actually. Let me see. I think it might be. It, uh, uh, yes, musically was Matt, speaking, yeah. but uh, obviously Eddie, Eddie wrote the, the lyrics. And um, like, what? what? <laughs> I don't know. It's you guys just... can't see it, but he's but Paul is thumbing through his liner notes here. Yeah, yeah, I've got the liner notes for Bunnell right here. I'm just looking at this, and I'm thinking, why are you here? <laughs> you know, it, it was in my preliminary like 15 to 20 songs as well, but. I actually, I, and I put press play on it again just to make sure. I'm like, I don't mind it. It's not great, but I don't mind it. I, I, I can get down with it, but I know you don't like it at all. No, no, <laughs> no. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> all right, number two for me. We're getting down to the real, real stinkers here. Oh. Relatively speaking, of course. Again, like I said, for me, it's supersonic. Oh, okay. I'll just say. It's a Stone oh, song too, right? No, that's the thing. It's an Ed oh. song. Yeah, that is Ed. You're right. It's Mankind Part Two, essentially, in how that it's written, but it's not Stone. It's Ed. So, I mean, for me, this is Dad Punk by Pearl Jam, arguably at its worst. Mm. The, the bridge is the only interesting part of the song, and lyrically, I have no idea what the point of the song is. Last dot FM claims, with no evidence, by the way, <laughs> that Ed said that this song is about nothing. Well, I might agree. <laughs> Some people think it's about getting blazed, and um, oh, okay, cool, cool song, Ed. Nope, no, oh, thank you. What do you got? We're moving to Riot Act next, and uh, mm. Bush Leaguer. Interesting. Yeah, I, just, I don't know, man. It's a. Uh, I do skip this track a lot. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Um, look, there there are some some parts of it that I think work, n- not many, um, but it's just way too kind of grounded in this this political, like the way they go after the executive branch on Gigaton, mm-hmm. I think is is far less on the nose than than this. I mean, it, well, that's not that's not that's a low bar though because obviously. This this song is, it's it's about him literally, in every single word possible. Whereas, you know, Quick Escape or Seven O'clock is a little bit removed. It's kind of like the of those things, not about the man itself. I mean, just just uh, like the only part of the song that like, I remember when you sang that song about today, now it's tomorrow, and everything's changed. That's literally the only part of the song that I can stand. So <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it does it doesn't work. For Blackout me. It's, weaves its way through the cities. No, that's that's. Well, it's it, it's like this massive downshifting in the song, and it, it feels it, it so out of place. It, there, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's just it do, doesn't work for me. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. 
All right, here we are. We've arrived at uh, the songs that you and I connect to the, the least. Um, for me, uh, it could not be anything but Olay. Oh, well. well. Um, talk about lyrics that don't make any sense. Do you actually know what Olay means? It's an outcry, an expression of joy in the Hispanic culture. So why the hell would you cry out in joy for all the things mentioned in this song? Oh, and I will read them to you now. You are crying out Olay for when your life ends, of importance, when there's too much you can't breathe in, when they give the guy the go-ahead, when you're spitting up on your bed, when you've had enough of knuckleheads. But apparently I'm supposed to meditate first? I'm confused. Ed, you were right in the first chorus. You don't have the words for what goes on or all that's wrong. In this song, at least. The music, it's more dad punk stuff. Nothing amazing or memorable. You'd think Mike would save this song, but, you know, his lead is pretty lazy and boring. It's just noise. And I really haven't the five guess what the point of this song is. Thankfully, it's only two and a half minutes. I feel, Jason, like they had to go through all of this to finally get the Super Blood Wolf Moon. Maybe. I don't know. It just, it feels like, uh, like if you really hate Pearl Jam's dad punk era, that like that, not era, but the, these kinds of tracks, it, it almost calls to, to mind that image in Shawshank where, where Morgan Freeman is like, and Andy Dufresne crawled through a mile of a river of shit. Just, he comes out and like, I just imagine when, when he's like outstretched and the rain is coming down, like that, the Super Blood Wolf Moon is playing over the top of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't hate when they do punk, um, but there are songs where it's not great. And there are songs where it's good. They do punk very well. I just think that when they cover it for sure and, and I think that some of the earlier songs um, mm-hmm. in the catalog that are punky I think work very very well but you know the whole dad punk thing I mean I get it you know I understand why it just comes across as but I also respect there's an authenticity to it like that's who these guys are you know what I mean it's not inauthentic it's not posing or trying to be somebody you're not that's just them you know and so I've never railed on it well, that's not true. I just literally referenced a river of shit in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> uh, I should. I railed on it. It is river of shit, though. No. Well, I mean, look. Here's the thing. I do appreciate and respect them doing what they want to do. Um, it just that type of music. It didn't hit for me until Super Blood Wolf Moon. Like that's when that kind of punky vibe finally it was like wow man, they, they they finally well, what about, nailed what about this comatose? comatose is a is a punky song yeah that's my number one bro <laughs> oh what a lead there you go <laughs> perfect segue yeah you know i was gonna go with let the records play but you could throw that on honorable mention as well the only thing i'll say about let the records play is it, it's basically spin the black circle growing up and getting lame Really. That's exactly what it is uh, yeah. from the lyrics perspective, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, Comatose is musically, and this is what's so disappointing about the song, when it smashes in, I was excited for these tracks. Like, bum, 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 you know, and I'm thinking, whoa, this thing is, this is coming at me right now. And then I swear to God, it, Eddie sounds like every bottle of wine and every pack of smokes over the last 20 years hit him at once 
during the recording of this single track. I don't know what it is. He just sounds like he's phlegmy and just like just gurgling as he's screaming. It's, <laughs> I can't get through it. It really is, I think, one of his worst vocal performances. Wow. It's just these like guttural screams and it just, and I'm not into that either. Like there's like the, the opening to do the evolution. It's just, it, it's not right there. It sounds like the whole song to me. It's just, <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's, that's a track that, and the reason it really falls flat for me is because I love the music and I can't get through it because of the vocal performance. Um, and that's unfortunate because it's like, I, the music keeps teasing me. So I keep coming back to the song every time I put self-titled avocado on. And it, it's like that scene in The Godfather where he says, just when you think you're out, it just pulls you back. <laughs> and then it's just me getting shot up on the stairs you know, every time. <laughs> You know what it is? I, I bet you that's why they haven't done a lot of songs in the last decade or so, decade and a half, that are of that variety where the song forces him to sing that way. Because it, he probably did a number of takes. He probably had to get his voice in a certain place and then couldn't sing anything else for a couple of days afterwards. Yeah, this is not like My Darling off Abbey Road, where McCartney did like, I don't know how many takes, and he finally was like, screw this. If I don't get it this time, I'm, we're not, this song's out, it's off. And he smashed it, that last take, and that now it's this iconic performance. This, to me, feels like he woke up after like a 10-day binge fest. <laughs> Like it was just a bottle of tequila or whatever hell that cock concoction is that hit that he yeah, whatever that thing is that he 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 threw together on social media a couple of months ago. And he just like got in the booth and was just like, ah, let me see what I can I do. I mean here. that tour just, was 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 really big on the wine and cigarettes. That was the, mm-hmm. one of the first times we really noticed that happening. Yeah. I don't know, man. Well how do you take the live performances then? Um it's a little be bit better. It's a little bit better. Um, it's just, it, part of it is just the design of the delivery to me. Um, feel it, right? I mean, just the whole way it's coming out. I, I just feel like it, I wish it had more of a soaring sound like In Hiding does hmm. with the way he delivers some of these, uh, this, that p- part of the chorus as opposed to like just trying to grit through it. I don't know. It's just, I get that that doesn't fit the song. I understand that. Um, but really just it, it just sounds like nails on a chalkboard to me okay yeah well we tried guys <laughs> we tried i love how we kind of came at this very gentle like these songs just they just don't connect. they don't speak they don't to speak. us and here we are just this talking is a about river of rivers shit. Of shit. <laughs> nails on a chalkboard <laughs> my god all, what happened all of that said COVID. i blame COVID. all of that said we love this band with all of our heart obviously and i'll still listen to these songs i will because relative to regular music i like them but they just yeah. don't meet the high bar set by the most of the catalog yeah well it's funny that you should end on a track from avocado because mm-hmm. that's the subject of our over under so paul over under Last, last time we did one was uh, Backspacer, I think, which is a while ago. Right. So this is, um, obviously, this isn't good and bad. This is overrated, underrated. So, mm-hmm. you know, which track is just hyped up too much and which track needs more love? I will start uh, with you with overrated. 
Overrated worldwide yes, suicide. Okay. Worldwide suicide. Why? For sure. Um, I just, it, which is bizarre because when, when this song first came out, I had friends, family that loved it. They're like, man, have you heard the new Pearl Jam song? It's awesome. It rocks. So I had high expectations and I listened to it and I'm thinking, it's just, eh. It, it, it doesn't really, it's not remarkable to me. And uh, a lot of folks would say it's the standout track off the album, and, and I would say that it's it's rather pedestrian to me. Um, lyrically, I think it, it, it's well written. Um, I, I don't think, musically speaking, it, it's not constructed well by any sense of the imagination. It just I, I don't find it to be particularly remarkable as a track. That's all. Um, I mean, a severed hand, marker in the sand. Uh, hell, even life wasted. I think. If you want to talk about side A of that record, it's really stronger tracks to me. Mm. Well, uh, I agree with you. Worldwide Suicide mm. is my overrated song as well. Wow. It okay. was tough for me, as I don't think any of the songs in Avocado are really that overrated. I think, um, I think this one was oversold a little bit um, because it was the lead single, uh, which is you know it's tough to be over, you know not oversold and be the lead single, right? But. Um, it's just it's very direct and after a while it can wear on you I think and it was all over rock radio like you mentioned and I remember there was a moment where my roommate it came on the radio and I like to listen to it a lot because I was just jonesing for New Pearl Jam so I was just into it um, and he actually pointed out to me how sick of it he was <laughs> and I was like oh so yeah Worldwide Suicide I still enjoy the song but yeah. it definitely is probably the most overrated on the album what do you got for underrated Army Reserve by far I don't know why this song doesn't get played more. Um, lyrically, it's a, it's a standout effort from Ed. Uh, the guitar overlaying in the intro, leading into the first verse, I thought it's fantastic. You get Mike with that really cool kind of reverb. Um, the chorus really soars. I mean, it's it's there's there's so much passion and there's voice. The song truly has voice. You know, sometimes the band, Eddie specifically, they, they do a great job of, of telling a story. And we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. you know, how good is Pearl Jam when they tell a story. And I think that they really do an outstanding job here. And we spoke at length about this track, I think, in our very last episode. So I don't want to beat it at horse, so to speak. But there's just so much thematically happening with the song in terms of it being an anti-war track, talking about different points of view. And, and what it feels like to see somebody you love go off and fight in something that is beyond his or her control and, and you know, the feeling of, of not knowing if that person comes back or, or that realizing that person does not come back. And, and the, the mourning and the lamenting that happens because of that. The song just, it's, it's a beautifully written track. It's very, very well done. And for the life of me, I don't understand why it doesn't get played more. I mean, it, I, I think it, much like In Hiding was a single that the band looked back at later and said, I don't, maybe we should have released that. I don't know why we didn't. Army Reserve to me is that track. Uh, I almost think that should have been the lead single. I think if that had been the first track to be released from this album, I almost wonder if, if folks would, would look back differently on this album. It's amazing how... I can't think about Riot Act without thinking about Save You leading me into it. It's not the first track, but it was my first introduction to the album. And it's the same thing with Worldwide Suicide and Avocado. And quite frankly, with um, 
Dance of the Clairvoyance with Gigaton. You know, there's something about the first time you hear a mm. piece of an album that it, it, it's, it leaves this indelible imprint on you. And even though its placement, its track placement on the album may not necessarily be number one, it will always kind of lead the album when you think of it. At least it does for me. And for me, you know, Worldwide Suicide does that, but I wish Army Reserve did. This is going to be a boring portion of the show because I agree with you again. Uh, it's an obvious story, but it's a story well told. Very and so. the music is uh, really unique and lovely. And the way the verse leads into the chorus is so achingly beautiful. It really grabs you and kind of pulls you with it. And maybe it might be Jeff's most underrated song. The strumming pattern is totally him. It reminds me of Nothing Man in that sense. Um, the last couple of lines, darling, you'll save me if you save yourself. That's just that's just fantastic. People sleep on this song because it's near the end of the album, like you said, and it's rarely played right. live. But I'm telling you, man, um, this is a great song. And the outro is ripe for a long like solo if they wanted to go that route. But your point about it being thought of differently if it was a single, uh, perhaps even a lead single. I mean, last week we spoke about retracking uh, this album and how differently people would take this album and interpret it if just if you just switched around the track order. And, you know, how much more so would it would it change in people's minds if the singles were different? I don't know. I don't know how much. Was this the first album they did um, without Epic? It might have been. Uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, they so left this is, and then there's full this monkey. This is purely their, their choice along with uh, Kelly Curtis, right? He would have been obviously in on that. Yeah. What is, does it say monkey wrench on there? No, actually. Hold on a second. Wouldn't that be the... Uh, well, I was looking for the Monkey Wrench logo on, on, on the back of This it. is the thrilling portion of the show where yeah, we we're, we're. sit idly by while Paul flips through a booklet. Yeah, that's the beauty of being old school. It's like, guy, how old are these jabronis? Like, can't they look this shit up? Let me get my reading spectacles. <laughs> oh, God. I think it was. But that would be, you know, you, you can't put the onus on Sony or Epic to say, like, oh, we're, we're making you put out Go as a lead single. You know, no. that was a good choice. But... You know, it's it was on them, non Kelly. So, and I can understand why they chose Worldwide Suicide. It, it's lead single type of a, of music, but yeah, this was Adam Kaspar and Pearl Jam produced. Correct until Brendan remixed it. Yeah, many years later. Well, there we go, everybody. Over under for uh, Pearl Jam slash Avocado. What do you think? Do you agree with us on overrated underrated? This was Monkey Wrench, by the way. There you go. All right, let's go to our Lyric of the Week. And Paul, our Lyric of the Week this week comes back from No Code, and it's Hail Hail. Okay, Paul, lead us off. What do you make of this of this portion of this song? I chose the second verse. You did. Um, there's a lot of tracks in the catalog that kind of talk about a relationship falling apart. 
you know, mm-hmm. everything from, from black to parting ways. Right. And there's something about this song here that's really supercharged in ways that some of these other tracks are not. Um, and there's a kind of sardonic m- mocking almost or, or sarcasm that comes out in the song. Hail, hail to the lucky ones. I love that line in the track. Are you woman enough to be my man? Hand mm. in hand. I think it's, it's one of the best that, that Ed wrote. And, and there, there's this whole feministic movement in Ed's writing, I think, that kind of started right around here. And, and you really see it come out a lot in a lot of these tracks. But uh, what I liked about the lyrics that you specifically chose are this idea that you you make a promise, like you, you, you swear to yourself that you're going to love someone until the day that you die and beyond that, right? But then you question whether or not you and that person are going to the same place. And, and then, you, then it's like, it's that, that almost um, rhetorical question. If so, can I come, you know? It's egg rolling thick and heavy, all the past you carry. And it's just the, the baggage that somebody brings. And it, it's just, it, it's not something you can wash away. You know what I mean? It just sticks to that person and therefore you in the process. I could be new, you underestimate me. And it, it's him trying to say to this person, I feel like I'm being victimized and I'm being pigeonholed based on experiences that don't even involve me. You know what I mean? And, and so many people find themselves in a similar situation where you love someone, but that person is stuck in all those yesterdays. <laughs> and uh, you feel a sense of frustration and you almost, you just have to tip your cap and, and you think those who don't have to deal with this are, are the lucky ones. And, and in that sense, it, there's a tragic element to the song and the, and I think it's really unfortunate that somebody has to go through this. But then you look at Ed's relationship with Jill and the beautiful family they have now, and it's, it's, it's easy to see how that trial by fire, so to speak, kind of is what gets us to the place that we ultimately get to in order to find that level of happiness. So, Ed, hail, hail to you, my friend. He's the lucky one. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um how I was once here in this portion of the song. Yeah. You, I, I, once you, you have been there. Yeah. <laughs> Some years ago when I finally realized that I had to get out, that I should have gotten out earlier. And this is pretty much how I felt at the time. The honeymoon period, you know, got me swearing that I'd love her till the day I die. It's an immature statement, a little bit naive, but it's not unique. I, I think everyone has that point in their in a relationship in some point in their lives. And you want to be with that person all the time, literally and figuratively, hence the second line there. But I think the act of asking if it's okay to come should be a warning to you. There's a trust issue, a confidence issue. There's a misconnection happening if that question needs to be asked at all. After a while, you see the issues they have, something you were too blinded by new love or the prospect of what could be. It's all becoming a routine. It's been a routine, and now I'm just noticing that the things I really don't like about you aren't exceptions to the rule. They are the rule. It's a feature, not a bug. All the drama and mistakes of your past are routine, and you still carry them. And now I'm meant to hold on to them with you, with your permission. What kind of relationship am I I in? 
Well, I could be new to you. I could break your routine of negativity, routine of personal and emotionally stunted growth. I could be the one that makes you happy, but you won't let it happen. And it's a damn shame. And that's kind of how I felt. And look at all these lucky ones around us. Hail to them indeed. Now, at least by the end of the song, the narrator has consigned to a final separation. They can move on and learn from this. And thankfully, I did too. Uh, and learned a lot in the process and didn't make those mistakes again. But when you're in the thick of that shit, it's confusing and it is not a fun time. Let's put it that way. Plus the song rocks. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it rock in our live cut of the week. Ready? Okay, live cut of the week. Hail, hail. We're going back to the mid-90s. What a time to be alive, huh? Where and when are we going? We're going to Hartford, 1996. Woo, hometown. Here we go. Yeah, buddy. Uh, you're lucky you weren't there in your hometown. I missed it by two years. You My did. first show was two years but later. Are, are you aware of uh, the, the arrests that occurred that day? Sure was. Yeah. Well, I sure it, was later. I wasn't sure the, of at the time. No, I mean, you got like 30 people basically arrested before, during, and, and after what mm-hmm. I, I think is one of the most magnificent concerts of the No Code Tour, one that I would love to see released as, as a vault show. Mm-hmm. And um, there's not a lot of talk from Eddie during this set. I mean, they just went after it in this one. Um, well, besides, besides crowd control. <laughs> well, okay, sure. Now, I will say the whole crowd control issue, I mean, for those who are unaware, basically this particular venue, it, it, it's a rather large venue, and it has a giant lawn in the back where a lot of fans would go and sit and watch the show. Well, for whatever reason, I think the night before the show, the band decided that they didn't want to use the video screens. And so they, they decided not to project and broadcast the show on the screen. So if you had a, a ticket, back there it's like dots you know what i mean you're just Mm -hmm. looking at these little ants in the future and um for whatever reason and i i don't know uh they just decided that they were not going to project an image out to the masses and and these these you know the crowd that these people paid to see them it was their first ever connecticut performance and uh i don't know that they rocked the house but uh I guess they, they rocked it too hard. <laughs> so hail, hail to the lucky ones who were close <laughs> enough to see the show. <laughs> so what about this performance, though? Mm. Number one, it, it's actually the, the track that was chosen by the Green Habit compilation for, for best versions mm. of. And believe, there's not a lot of overlap between my list and, and Green Habit's list, mostly because they veer off of the whole, you know, these shackles that I place on myself where I... I seek the best version from that tour just because I, I really want to capture the essence of the song from when it was written. Uh, but they, they managed to nail this one with, with that selection. So it, it's, it's powerful. Um, it resembles and, and uh, captures all the energy that you find on the album track uh, because of, I think, what was a rather charged night mm-hmm. given the circumstances. I, I think that somehow comes out in the track as well. All right. October 2nd, 1996, Hartford, Connecticut, the Meadows Amphitheater.
raucous, Paul. Yeah. There's something about Jack playing this song that makes it feel like it could fall apart at any minute, but never does. You know, it kind of teeters on the edge all the time. And I think it helps this particular song because of the subject matter. But as we discussed before, classic show, long set. It's hard for two hours, right? Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, there's going to be security issues when you go to Hartford. They had the same issues two years later when I was there. Um, I think, uh, yeah, because of the no screen thing, there was a barricade that got knocked down because people were trying to see. And then the security freaked out and started pepper spraying everybody. And then the pepper spray started wafting because it's an out, it's an amphitheater, it's outside, started wafting into the seated section. And so the people started having to leave their seats because they couldn't breathe and go into the aisles and creep toward the stage. And that created even more commotion. And, you know, Ed doesn't know what the hell's going on because he doesn't see what's happening at the no, top. They, they just kept playing. The show continued. Yeah, so it was just it was just crazy. So uh, I, I think it's interesting how this uh, came in the set where it did because you had Long Road open the show, kind of kind of calm and, you know, not like a banger to enter in with. But the way that Hail Hell follows it reminds me of how it follows sometimes on No Code. Right. And then to go into Animal right afterwards is fantastic. Yeah. So I thought it was just a really cool vibe that they, that they had going on, and that, and that show just had a really good energy. So a very smart pick from you, I think. Thank you, sir. Well, there you go, gang. Uh, another episode in the books. Like I mentioned off the top of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast listening application, be that Google or Spotify or Apple or something else that i'm not thinking of at this moment also remember emergency blanket interview coming out thursday december 17th they are fantastic all their music is on itunes oh by the way uh and what else other housekeeping anything else that's it that's good you mentioned should be the next uh we should get this show 96 hartford as a uh as a vault well basically got a bonus vault with atlanta we did we did, nice. but it's a show that I already have. I know, and I'm, I was pleased with the quality. So, I like, I don't know what it is. They, they, why can't we get ninety six? There, there must be something on those uh, those tapes that they don't like because they are just adamant about. Maybe <laughs> it's a Jack Irons thing. Nineteen ninety six. It might be a Jack Irons thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, until you join us uh, for the next show, be it the emergency blanket interview or the next uh, regular show here. You've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. State of Love and Trust.